it going, everybody? It is Wednesday, May 31st, 2017. Time once again for the 13th round uh, from Bad Left Hook, the official podcast of Bad Left Hook. Uh, I'm your host, the managing editor of BadLeftHook.com, Scott Christ. You know, we had a, um, a a terrific event this past weekend. Kel Brook versus Errol Spence Jr. in Sheffield, England at Bramall Lane in front of 27,000 people. Um, I have successfully avoided writing one of those sort of boilerplate, uh, see, boxing's not dead things. Um, I avoided it after Joshua and Klitschko. I avoided it after Canelo and Chavez, because even though that sold really well, it's a piece of shit fight. Um, and I've avoided it here. I mean, obviously... 2017 has been a very good year for the sport of boxing in many ways. Uh, we've had some some big fights that have lived up to the hype. We've had some that haven't. You know, Canelo and Chavez was a, a terrible fight. Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia was certainly not a great fight, um, but not awful. But it, what it did was it delivered viewers because people wanted to see that fight. And I don't think it was so bad that it hurt anything. I don't think people tuned in and went, well, fuck this. This was terrible. I'm not going to watch this shit again. I, I think it was, you know, uh, an acceptable action fight for what it was. I didn't expect a lot of big action out of that fight. But, um, yeah, Canelo and Chavez on pay-per-view taking a dump in the ring. Um Klitschko and Joshua was a really an instant classic, the the, the great modern heavyweight fight uh, in front of a massive crowd at Wembley Stadium. That's really, to me, that's the easy fight of the year thus far. Uh, not just about the in-ring action, but the event, the scope of it, the magnitude of it, the fact that everything delivered, you know, and... Somewhat against the odds. I mean, Vladimir Klitschko's not been an, an action fighter in his career, but it was, this was a great fight. It had an incredible story in the ring. You know, just when you thought Vladimir Klitschko was done, he comes back, puts Anthony Joshua against the ropes, uh, figuratively puts him on the canvas, literally. And then Anthony Joshua makes that final charge, puts Vladimir Klitschko away. I mean, we, we had a great fight. And Kel Brook against Errol Spence wasn't... It wasn't quite a Joshua Klitschko, but it was a, a very good fight, very competitive. We saw the birth of a new legitimate top fighter at 147 pounds in Errol Spence Jr. You know, all the hype in the world is one thing. Then when you get on a stage like this one, you have to deliver. And for the first half of this fight, Spence was in a battle. I mean, Kell Brook was winning rounds. Kell Brook was doing a good job. But Errol Spence Jr., what impressed me most is to get to this stage and maintain the sort of composure that he would have against pretty much anybody. I mean, he never got rattled. If he ever thought, well, you know, maybe I'm not winning these rounds. Maybe he thought he was winning the rounds. I don't know. But if he, if he for a second, thought like, well, I'm not, I'm not winning these rounds, but I'm going to stick with what I'm... He stuck to what he was doing, made adjustments along the way as well, 
and just put some 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 points in the bank and ultimately was able to stop Kel Brook he just did too much damage Kel Brook comes out of this fight with a, uh, a fractured orbital bone on his left eye matching the one he got from Gennady Golovkin on the right eye both times Kel Brook um, has been stopped in back-to-back fights now with Kel Brook, uh, yeah, I really worry going forward. I, I I worried about the eye after the Glovekin fight. Now now there's two of them. He's never going to be the same fighter that he was before. Not physically and not mentally. I think it's always going to be, at least in the back of his mind, that something like this can happen again in any fight against any opponent. So I have some trouble imagining a Kell Brook that comes back from a second surgery like this after back-to-back fights in back-to-back losses and remains a true top fighter. I, I just, there is, um, yeah, I have a hard time imagining him coming back and being the same fighter. He's, he's 31 years old. He's had a good career. Um, he's made some money. I think he'll fight on, either at 147 or at 154. But I don't know that he'll ever get back to, uh, you know, where he's been already in his career. I, I think we're probably on the other side of the hill with Kel Brook, and that, that's nothing. That's not taking a thing away from Errol Spence Jr. for this win. Because Kelbrook fought well until, you know, Errol Spence Jr. was just too much for him. And that's a huge credit to Errol Spence Jr., whose best opponents before this were Chris Algieri and Leonard Bundu, two quality fighters, competent guys, you know, that both bring something different to the table. He ran through those guys. And ultimately, not all the way through the fight, but ultimately he wound up running through Kelbrook and stopping him. Forced him to quit. I mean, and I'm not blaming Kel Brook for quitting. Man had a fractured orbital bone. Yeah, you know, I'm just, I, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not that macho about shit. I, I, I don't. Kel Brook made a decision. It was probably the right one. He was getting battered. He was increasingly out of that fight. He fought his heart out. And it wasn't enough, and he accepted that. Um, now, my big question about Errol Spence Jr. going forward, it's really the only one, is if he can get even better than this. He's 27, so he's he's not super young, but he's certainly not old. He's just entering what should be his prime. So can he get better than he already is? And if it, let me be clear, if he doesn't get better than he already is, he's going to have a very good career. He's already a world champion. He's already beaten a top fighter. He's every bit good enough to be a real threat to Keith Thurman or Manny Pacquiao or anybody else at 147. I don't see anybody out there who has a style that would be terribly tough on him. He's no, I mean, the other thing is he's no defensive genius. He's not a, 
you know, he's not a Floyd Mayweather type. Um, so eventually, you know, punishment will add up. Within one fight at some point. Over his career eventually. I mean, he's not, he's not that guy. But that doesn't mean he doesn't have another eight to ten years as a top fighter. I mean, getting to 35 to 37 years old, he could still be a top guy. Could still be undefeated. A lot of that will depend on what direction his career takes as far as matchmaking. He's got the IBF title now. He says he wants to unify with Pacquiao, with Thurman, the other title holders in the division. Pacquiao, of course, has the WBO title, which he'll defend in July against Jeff Horn, um, which is really an insulting mismatch on paper. Uh, <laughs> we're like a we're like a month out from that. Uh, that's my um, really haven't said a lot about that fight because I'm not excited for it, and I don't think it really matters. Um, but really a terrible fight. Um, anyway, and then Keith Thurman has the WBC and WBA titles. Spence, the IBF, it's a good class of title holders, but will Spence be fighting those guys? Will Spence be fighting someone, you know, not exactly these people, but on the level of Danny Garcia, on the level of Sean Porter, because there is a drop-off. I mean, look, the people I think are legitimate threats to Errol Spence at 147 are Pacquiao, Thurman, Porter, Garcia. That's about it. After that, you're getting into Adrian Broner and Jesse Vargas and uh, Amir Khan. He's a good fighter, but I think Errol Spence would knock him out. Yeah, Kel Brook is still around, but I don't think he's, like I said, I don't think he's ever really going to be that guy anymore. And then you get into guys like Omar Figueroa, who may or may not be a player at 147. We'll kind of find out a little bit more about that when he fights Robert Guerrero on July 15th. Uh, Andre Berto is still out there. And I could definitely see PBC making, uh, or trying to make, an Errol Spence Jr. versus Andre Berto fight at some point. Um, you know, even though Andre Berto lost to Sean Porter in an eliminator, I could still see them trying to make that fight, milking whatever is left to milk from Andre Berto. Um, but you know, I, look, I think Errol Spence wants the big fight. I think he's legitimate about that. I mean, he, look, he took this. He wanted to face Kel Brook. He didn't want to fight for a vacant title as the mandatory IBF challenger. He went to Kell Brook's hometown at Bramall Lane, 27,000 hostile fans, who, by the way, were great. I mean, that was a, a great, responsive, vocal, passionate crowd. I mean, late in the fight after Kell Brook was dropped the first time, they, they really willed him into trying the, the rest of that round to get back in that fight and do something big. Um, so I, I believe in Errol Spence's desire to face the best. I just don't know if it'll actually happen because it's boxing. And look, man, 
everyone can get it really excited about five months of good fights, but boxing is still boxing. As soon here's what here's what I fear is that as soon as enough goodwill has been built up for making these good matchups, they'll just go back to the same shit they've always done, which is bleeding that goodwill until it's basically gone with easy fights for star fighters, an overabundance of pay-per-view, and, you know, just fights that nobody's asking to see. That's my fear, because, and I know so many of you have been boxing fans for so much longer, and I, I would think you could back that up, but maybe not. Um, Maybe you just disagree, but I'm a little cynical because I've been a boxing fan most of my life. Um, The adult portion, and especially the last 11 years that I've been working at Bat Left Hook and sort of paying attention to the sport daily, it really fucking wears you down and you start to, you know, pick up on the rhythms of things. This isn't the first time in the last 11 years where the fan base has been going, wow, this things are really turning around. This is great. It's going to be good for everyone. It'll go away. They'll, they'll, they'll bring back exactly what you didn't like. There will be another year by t- like 2016 before you know it. Where I think without much disagreement of any kind 2016 was a fucking terrible year for boxing you know I I, I mean I was I spent the year increasingly falling out of love with the sport and not not what goes on in the ring not the fighters um, but the business of boxing and that's easy to do because when it hits a downswing, it gets really bad. When it hits an upswing, it can be fucking transcendent. It can, it can be amazing. And we're getting a lot better in 2017, obviously, than we got in 2016. Uh, we're getting you know, fights we want to see, matchups we've actually asked for, fights that are delivering on the hype. Again, not all of them, but, uh, you know, not everything is ever going to deliver on the hype. Hype is what it is. Hype is to sell you to get you there. Um, and then what happens is kind of up to the fighters. Sometimes you get a fight like Keith Thurman versus Danny Garcia, which is hyped. And it's never really going to be a great action fight. They're both, you know, cagey, smart fighters. Um, but, it, but it was, again, I didn't think it was a terrible fight. You get a Canelo Chavez, which the hope was that it would be a great brawl. Um, Oscar De La Hoya's salesmanship amounted to the idea that two Mexican fighters couldn't possibly have a bad fight together. On Cinco de Mayo weekend, especially. But (laughs) we got a terrible fight. For $70. Um, 
then they immediately tried to sell you on the next fight. And thankfully, the next fight they're trying to sell you on, Canelo versus Golovkin, is the fight that we've wanted to see forever. And as much as I don't think it's a guaranteed great fight, I think it's far closer to a guarantee than Canelo against whack-ass Chavez. Even if Golovkin and Canelo winds up more of um, a boxing match than a brawl, which I think is very likely, you know, Golovkin's not a stupid fighter. Uh, Canelo is a, a very smart fighter, I think. Yeah, even if it winds up being sort of a mid-tempo fight, more of a chess match than 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 a uh, an all-action slugfest, I think it'll be a good fight. You know, tastes will vary, but I, th- I, I personally I'm expecting it to be um, a, a pretty good, pretty watchable fight. But all that'll change eventually. We'll have another fucking. It probably won't be in 2018. But look, 2019, 2020, could see another 2016 coming around. Where everything is sort of where it's at for the time being. Fans are placated and sated after getting a little bit of what they want for a while. You can convince them that this next fight, okay, maybe this next fight sucks. But then after that, we'll, we'll definitely be trying to make this fight that you want. I mean, we've seen that many times from every promoter. This is not just about Oscar De La Hoya or just about Al Heyman or just about Bob Arum. One of the mistakes I think people make as boxing fans is ever favoring one promoter over another. They are all of the same cloth. All of them. They want to make the most money for the least risk. They want the... uh, Ideally, if he could sell it every time out, Oscar De La Hoya or Bob Arum or Al Heyman or anybody else, Eddie Hearn, it doesn't matter. They would sell you a Canelo Chavez every single fucking time if they could. Because the guy who's there to drive the money and to win ends up having a pretty easy night. And there's no real risk of upsetting anything. Everything is very carefully planned and plotted a lot of the time. Um, This year we're seeing a few risks being taken. That's, that's what really drives anything compelling in boxing is when fighters take risks against people who can actually beat them. That's when boxing is at its best. When there's genuine intrigue about what's going to happen in a fight and truly either of the two guys getting in the ring can actually win. Have a real, not just a puncher's chance, not just if this guy doesn't have the right game plan, if this guy isn't in the best shape, then his opponent could win. You know, not, I'm not talking fucking 5 to 25% chance of winning. I'm talking legitimate 50 50 or close to that matchups. 
where people who watch the sport um, can disagree reasonably on who will actually win a fight. That is when I think the sport is at its best. I mean, I say I think, but that is clearly when the sport is at its best. It's very obvious, but um, anyway, got off track there, but that'll happen. Um, This weekend, Showtime has a light heavyweight doubleheader from uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada. Adonis Stevenson defending the WBC title in a rematch with Andrew Fonfara. Um, Stevenson's mandatory. Elater Alvarez is taking on Jean Pascal. Don't love either of these fights. Don't hate either of them. Yeah. When the ultimate big prize is supposedly getting to Stevenson versus Elater Alvarez, which is a good fight, but not a great fight, I have a hard time getting really excited about yet another Stevenson tune-up. And I know a few years ago that Andrew Fonfara gave Stevenson a tougher-than-expected fight. But you have to remember that absolutely nothing was expected of that fight. The fact that Fonfara battled and made it semi-competitive made it more fun than it was expected to be. Low expectations made for a, a fight that is remembered as more than it really was. I still think Stevenson clearly won that fight. Um... But Fonfara is, you know, the thing about this rematch is it's not taking place at a time that I think anyone really wanted to see it. Um, Maybe I'll be wrong and Styles will make fights and uh, Fonfara will give Adonis Stevenson a really tough test again. I, I just don't see it. Um... You know, since that fight, Steven, or, uh, Fonfara has won a few fights, had a really good fight with uh, Nathan Cleverly, won that one, beat Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., you know, just totally dominated him. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock in that because I never thought Chavez was very good. Uh, and for one, Chavez was fighting someone his actual size. Um, and he had to rally last time out to beat Chad Dawson. And before that, he got stopped in two minutes and 32 seconds by Joe Smith Jr. So this is not like a, a um, an optimal time for Stevenson to face Von Farah again, at least as far as I think most of us are concerned. For Stevenson, it's great timing. Von Farah doesn't really appear to be a big threat to him and frankly Adonis Stevenson who won the first fight might have a different you know outlook on that fight than most of us did we looked at it as Fonfara outperforming expectations Stevenson won the fight and might have felt that it wasn't terribly difficult work you might be perfectly happy to face Fonfara again Especially now. So I don't, look, I don't love this fight. I expect Stevenson to retain again. It's been an iffy title reign. Uh, but it is a title reign in its fourth year coming up in you know, five days after this fight happens. If he retains five days after that, 
It will be four years as the WBC World Light Heavyweight Champion. Um, I'll be really surprised if Fonfara wins. Frankly, I'll be surprised if it's as competitive as it was the first time around. I genuinely expect Stevenson to uh, to stop Fonfara in the middle rounds in this fight. Yeah, I, I think he's, for one thing, he's seen him before. I don't think Fonfara's gotten better. I don't think Fonfara has changed anything, really. Um, not enough that it's going to make the difference. So I, I like Stevenson big here. I, I, I think he'll, um, I think he'll get a stoppage. I'm going to say around the eighth round. Yeah, I, I think eventually he'll just, he'll put enough together that he'll be able to get Andrew Fonfara out of there. Um, now, Elite Alvarez against Jean Pascal is a little more intriguing, I guess. In part because Elater Alvarez, having fought Lucian Boutet last time out, fighting Pascal now, you can make an argument that it's mandatory. He's fighting opposition tougher, if not just as tough, as the fucking champion Adonis Stevenson has, has fought in his entire reign. I mean, Lucian Boutet's past his prime. Pascal probably is. Uh, he's, he's, Pascal's 34. But his last two losses have been to Sergey Kovalev, who beat him down both times. Uh, the first fight was a, a fun watch. The second fight was just total domination. And now you've got him coming off of a fight in December, which was a little north of 175, uh, a fight against a guy named Ricardo Ramallo. Um, you know, a th- three-round tune-up. Stopped him in the third. Um... I don't expect a lot out of Pascal in this fight. But what makes it maybe interesting is if Pascal is or can be as good as he was in the first fight with Kovalev, where he lost and was stopped against a terrific, legitimate, top-tier elite fighter. If he can be that good in this fight, I think he's plenty dangerous. Elater Alvarez is no elite fighter. I mean, if you go past Lucian, what's his best win? Is it Lucian Boutte? A past prime former super middleweight title holder who really never has liked getting hit? Is it Isaac Chalemba? Who Alvarez won a majority decision over in 2015? I mean, it's one of those. The rest of his resume is kind of lacking. Which is not to say that I think he's a bad fighter. I think he's a legitimate top 10 light heavyweight. Um, I just, I, I think he's a good bit from being an elite fighter. So if Jean Pascal can be as good as he was in a defeat to Sergey Kovalev the first time they fought, I think he can give leader Alvarez a very tough fight here. Now, the other thing that I'm looking for is what we saw in a later Alvarez in his last fight with Lucian Butte that I really liked. And that was a, a sort of uh, an urgency. After he got cut, he's sort of a, a killer instinct that he hadn't always shown before when he was going to full 10-round, 12-round decisions with fighters that, frankly, he was a lot better than. And the likes of Robert Barrage and, and Norbert Dabrowski. Isidro Prieto. 
I mean, these are guys he's much better than, but he seemed in those fights content to win a decision, which is fine. But I really liked seeing him get a little more aggressive, show some fire, open up his offense, and he knocked out Lucian Butte because of that. If he can do that, then an aging Jean Pascal who in his the last real fight he had got his ass kicked by Sergey Kovalev could be in some real trouble early in this fight. Um because I I later Alvarez is one of those guys who I think he's a if I were grading him overall as a fighter, I think he's a B or a B minus, which is, a, I mean, that is a good grade. He's a good fighter, but he's not exceptional. But there was something about him showing that fire, showing that urgency, showing that, um, the temper almost that opened up his game and made him more dangerous. Now, is that something he can harness in every fight? Maybe not, but I, you know, I'd love to see him apply a little bit more of that to, um, you know, his general approach in the ring. Now that said, look, if he can take very few risks, cruise to a decision over John Pascal, get that fight finally, maybe with Adonis Stevenson, there's no reason he shouldn't do that. I think fighting a guy like Pascal when you've got a mandatory title shot in your hip, on your hip, that's more like it. Uh, when you've got a title shot in the bag, it's there. Fighting a guy like Pascal is in itself a fairly unnecessary risk because Pascal is so fucking unpredictable in terms of what he's really bringing to the ring in any given fight, that, you know, it's... What if he shows up and he's the Jean Pascal from, you know, his best nights? Then he's really a problem here. And later, Alvarez is 33. He's not young. He hasn't taken much punishment, so he's he's young in that sense. He, has, he doesn't have a lot of miles. Pascal has a lot more miles. But, I mean, they're only a year apart in age. So I'm going to pick a later Alvarez here because I, even if he's not an inspiring performer in this one, his consistency has to give him the edge on paper. Uh, Jean Pascal could be dangerous here. He could be a veteran at the end of his career who gets walked over. It could, it could really go either way. Uh, but I think you have to favor Alvarez. He's fresher. Um, he's certainly more in his prime, again, even though they're only a year apart, which is really just me saying that Alvarez is a little older than I think most people realize, or some people anyway. Um, yeah, again, the miles aren't the same. So I like the favorites here. I like Stevenson over Fonfara. I like Alvarez over Pascal. And then hopefully this fall, we see Stevenson versus Alvarez. 
I don't think that's like a great must-see fight or anything. But Alvarez has had the shot for a while. He's earned the shot as much as things are earned in boxing. And I would much rather see that than a lot of other fights that could happen instead. I would have rather have just seen it on Saturday, Stevenson versus Alvarez, than getting these two fights. These two fights are, in theory, one last fight card to make Stevenson versus Alvarez as valuable and as hot as a ticket, hot of a ticket as it can possibly be in Montreal. It's a good idea on paper. Deep in my heart, I am hoping for the double upset and for carefully plotted plans to be thrown into complete chaos and for there to then be demand for Andrew Fonfara to face Jean Pascal. So anyway, that's our show for this week. Um, be back next Wednesday as always. Now today's show was a little later than usual. Um, got caught up doing a few other things behind the scenes, if you will. So, um, got it up a couple hours later than normal this week, but hopefully that was no big deal for anybody. Uh, next week we'll be back. Should be up on the site at noon Eastern as always. It'll be up on iTunes before that. Um, so if you're not subscribing on iTunes, search out the 13th round. You'll find the 13th round from Bad Left Hook. There's some other old, possibly inactive podcast that had the same name. I didn't, you know, they just we had the 13th round name for the old video features we used to do. Um, I just kept that, moved it over to uh, the podcast world. So, uh, you know, I hope, I hope those folks aren't mad. I hope they're not sore at me. Um, so anyway, that's our show for this week. Uh, next week is not going to be a, a ton to talk about. We're going to have, um, you know, the results of what happens this weekend, but the, um, the, the boxing schedule gets a little choppy for a little while. There is a good show box on June 9th. We'll talk about that. Regis Prograce against uh, Joel Diaz Jr. in the main event. Uh, Lee Haskins fights next Saturday, uh, not next Saturday, but June 10th um, in Belfast. He's defending his bantamweight title. June 11th has the return of Brandon Rios. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then June 17th has Warden Kovalev. And then the rest of June is spotty. July has Pacquiao against Horn. Saunders versus Kurtzidze. Bruchelt against Miura in a really good HBO card on paper on July 15th. Um, and then July 15th is kind of the end of what we've got right now until late August when Miguel Cotto comes back against Yoshihiro Kamigai. And then September 16th, of course, Canelo Alvarez against Gennady Golovkin. So we'll have to make do some of these weeks, see what we can come up with. Um... Maybe take some weeks off in all reality if there's really nothing to talk about. Save the old uh, the old burnout for a, a busy time when you, when you can sort of push through it. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Until next week, so long.